Today, we're wrapping up a series called Asking for a Friend. And the, the reason behind the series is that we all have questions. Some that we would ask, some that we wish other people would ask for us and in our place. Uh, most of our questions, I think, are relational in nature. So the Bible offers us 59 one another verses that uh, teach us, help us, train us, coach us in how to relate uh, well to each other. So the big idea for this series is that we believe that God has answers to life's toughest questions. So life's most difficult questions, we believe that God has the answers. So in this series, we have tried to do two things. We want to believe truth correctly. That's not always easy. Uh, we want to believe truth correctly and treat one another carefully. Do those two things. So we've been looking at 1 Corinthians 6 and 7, difficult uh, chapters, uh, really to, um, to, to try and frame out, like, what does this mean? What did this mean to them? And then what does this mean to us? So we've talked about, um, we talked about believers dealing in difficult situations with each other. We talked about uh, sexual morality outside the context of marriage, inside the context of marriage. The content for today uh, was supposed to be about marriage and divorce, but because we missed last week, um, that content will be available to you online if you want to go and, and check that out. I think Paul from our Marion campus did the online teaching, did a great job with it, so you can check that out uh, there if you will. But we're going to focus on the fourth message um, in the series uh, today where Paul talks about the realities um, of singleness. So you think about singleness and you think, well, that's going to affect about 50% of the population in our country uh, today. Uh, singleness, right? We start thinking about it probably more so along middle school and then into high school, um, your collegiate years there and on up um, into adulthood. It has ramifications and effect for all of us. We parent, teacher, coach, mentor uh, young people um, for the majority of us, even if we are married, right? Um, you're going to be 50%, there's a 50% chance that you will become a widow at some point. I know that's encouraging. You're welcome. Um, along, along the way. Um, some of us here today are, uh, we were married and are now divorced. Some are single parents. There's so many realities and ways that I believe this has um, a profound effect on us. Uh, my dad um, is 88 years old. Uh, some of you know that I lost my mom um, a few years ago. And uh, so recently my dad called me and uh, it was a couple months ago and he said, uh, I got to ask out on a date. 88 years old, he still got it, right? Still got it. And I said, well, dad, what'd you say? And he said, well, sure. I said, sure. I said, okay, we got to talk about a few things. Dad, your curfew is 10 o'clock. Got to be home by 10. You need to keep a Bible in between you, write a big, thick King James. No, no funny business. That's what he used to tell me in high school. No funny business um, now. And so Paul is going to talk to us from 1 Corinthians chapter 7 about the realities um, and really the blessings that come with the realities of singleness. So if you have a copy of the scriptures, turn over to 1 Corinthians 7, and we'll start reading there. It says this in verse 1. I wish that all were as I myself am. But each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one to another. I think it's important that we all um, kind of start from the same foundation, that God has ordained a season of singleness for every human being. It's our default setting, right, whenever we come into the world. I don't think it's accidental that God created Adam in the Garden of Eden as a single person. 
right? All the animals, he created a male version and a female version. Same time, male and female, male and female. But when it comes to Adam, he creates and he holds off. He doesn't create Eve immediately. And I think that's because God wants us, the ones who bear his image, the imago Dei of God, that we would learn to relate to him as primary in our relationship as human beings. That we would learn that he is the ultimate, or literally the ultimate, if I can say it to you that way, before we turn our attention and our affection to any other to any other human being. That what God is going to say to us through Paul today is that walking with God is the ideal life. Walking with God is the ideal life. Not being married or being unmarried or being in this status or that status, but walking with God. That's, that's what we're aiming at. That's the ideal, that's the ideal reality, ideal life for us. So um, he says this um, in verse 8. To the unmarried and to the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it is better to be married than to burn uh, with passion. What Paul said in verse 1 is that singleness, he says, is a gift. That's the metaphor that he chooses to use. Now, if I were to ask you to choose a metaphor to attach to singleness, I doubt that you would choose gift. Some of us would be on one end of the spectrum over here and we would say, well, that's more like, a, more like a curse than it is a gift. Some of us would be on the other end of the spectrum and we would say, no, you know what? I, I wish I was single, right? Because I wouldn't have any responsibilities. I wouldn't have any commitments and I could do whatever I wanted to do, but I wouldn't have to sacrifice for anybody. I wouldn't have to care. I wouldn't have to do this or that or whatever. So there's a variety of perspective there, but Paul says, no, 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 it's a gift, and what he says then in verse 2 is he says, don't you understand the, the reality? Don't you understand this reality that God has given this to us so that we can, so that we can know him, relate to him? So what he's already said to us about married life, right, is blessings and challenges. And what he's going to say to us about singleness is, guess what? <laughs> blessings and challenges. It's, it's exactly the same. But I think in our culture, we tend, to, um, we tend to lean more towards the reality of marriage and romance, that that is the ideal life. That's what's ideal. And you say, well, I don't know. I don't know if I see that. Um, I was trying to think of a way that I could communicate that to you. I think it is prevalent uh, in our culture. Um, so I think the best way that I could communicate that to you is that we start when kids are really, really little. And you see it in all the Disney films, right? What is the ending of every single Disney movie that you have ever watched? It's, well, I won't even tell, I'll just show you. I'll show you a couple. We'll choose one um, from, the last, uh, from the last decade or so. Um, what about Frozen? How does Frozen, how does Frozen end? You like it? Like it. I love it. <laughs> I could kiss you. I could. I mean, I'd like to. I, may I? We me? I mean, may we? Wait, what? We may. So that's from the last, that's from the last decade. And you're saying, yeah, but that's just the way things are. That's not the way things always were. Let's go back about, let's go back about 10 years. What about, um, what about Belle and the Beast? What about, what about uh, Beauty and the Beast?
Tales old as time. Whenever you find love, everything just works. All your gargoyles become angels and all your Ottoman become puppies, right? Whenever you, whenever you find love. Let's go, let's go even further. Let's go way, let's go way, way back. always marriage. It's always happily ever after. It's always romance. And, you know, I get it. I'm a, I'm a little bit of a hopeless romantic uh, myself. And so I thought I would throw in my favorite, uh, my favorite romantic. Ah, the classics, the classics. Listen, there's this reality, and you see it, right? It's it's prevalent from when we're young all the way up. That that romance and marriage, that's the ideal status, that's the ideal life. And listen, I don't want to say that there's there's anything necessarily wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be in a relationship. There's nothing wrong with with wanting to be to be married. But I will say this: that romance is a wonderful gift, and it is a terrible God. That when you lay on the shoulders of another person, that they're supposed to be the thing. They're supposed to be the thing that satisfies your soul. That they're the ones who are, in essence, in charge of your happiness and your reality. That you know that everything is okay because they make everything okay. You are setting yourself up for failure. That will not work. It'll fail 100% of the time. And the reason that I think a lot of times our relationships are so broken and the, really, the reasons that we struggle so much is that we're asking romance and love to do for us what it was never designed to do for us. That Paul would say to us that, that walking with God is the ideal life. That's the ideal life. It's not that marriage is the ideal life and single people are somewhere, um, they're, they're down in like AAA ball, right? Waiting to get called up somehow to the romantic big leagues or something like that. What Paul is saying to us in this chapter is that there's this, the single life is something that should be considered for the sake, for the sake of the mission. You pick it back up um, down, in, uh, down in verse 27. He says this, are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. Paul uses comparison here to make a point that both marriage and singleness are both biblical and good. Both marriage and singleness are both. They're both biblical and, and good. Here's how he explains it to us, then picking it back up in verse 28. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. And from now on, 
Let those who have wives live as though they had none. And those who mourn as though they were not mourning. And those who rejoice as they were not rejoicing. And those who buy as, they, uh, as though they had no goods. And those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. Now, this sounds like Paul is saying, um, hey, if you've got a wife, abandon your wife. If you have a husband, abandon your husband. If you're mourning, pretend like you're not mourning. That's not what he's saying. He, um, he's using comparison as a literary device. It's the same thing that Jesus said in Luke chapter 14, verse 26, where he says, if any man, right, any speaking uh, commonly of men or women, if any man would come and be my disciple, he must hate his father and his mother and his brother and his sister. Because if he doesn't, he cannot be my disciple. Now, is Jesus calling us to hate our families? Absolutely not. In other places in Scripture, it clearly calls us to love our families. What is he saying? He's using comparison to say that our devotion to Christ should make any other devotion, our love for Christ, should make any other love for somebody else in our lives look uh, weak and pale in comparison. That's what he is calling us to. So instead of setting up love, instead of putting love and romance on a pedestal and requiring someone else to love you and to romance you, to make you feel a certain way. He is saying, think about the ultimate love and the ultimate devotion going towards God. And as that is reality in your life, that begins to satisfy your soul. Then you have something to offer. Then you have something to, to give to someone else. You know, pick it back up there in verse 32. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, about how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his, and his interests are divided. And to the unmarried, the betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things and how to please her husband. Paul is not saying that you have to be single to love Jesus. He is saying that singleness should be considered for the sake of the mission. That a single life, that a life committed solely to God, when you don't wake up in the morning and think about, okay, God, how can I please you today in the context of pleasing my spouse? How can I just please you today? That that is something worthy of consideration for us for the sake of the kingdom. Here's how he summarizes it in verse 35. I say this to you for your benefit, not to lay a restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. That's what Paul is aiming at, undivided devotion to the Lord. And that is, that's a good thing. We've sung about it, we've talked about it throughout the service today, is the goodness of God. That in marriage, highs and lows, goodness of God. In singleness, highs and lows, the goodness of God. When we feel the goodness of God and when we don't feel the goodness of God, that does not change his character. Our circumstances do not change, that do not adjust his character. And the best thing for God and the best thing for us is undivided devotion. 
And so this devotion to God, what it does for us, it yields an ideal legacy. I think a lot of times uh, as we think about our situations and circumstances, we think about the future, we think about our legacy, whether it's a financial legacy, whether it's a personal legacy, whether it's a family legacy. When Paul talked about his legacy, here's how, here's how he did it. Listen to what he says in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 2. I want you to listen to how he talks about Timothy. To Timothy, my true child in the faith. In 1 Corinthians, the book that we're looking at right now, in chapter 4, verse 17, he says this, That is why I sent you, Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in the church. Paul saw his legacy, his biblical Christian legacy, his kingdom legacy, as being lived out through the intentional time investment that he made into Timothy's life. So let's say that we took away your financial legacy. Let's say we took away your familial legacy. What is your faith legacy seen in the lives of other people other people, especially other people younger than you, people who are behind you, people who are around you, what's the faith legacy that you see in them? And if you're here today and, um, and you're a single adult, there are incredible opportunities, um, I believe, for you to serve. A couple of Sunday nights ago, there were 300 middle school and high school students here from across all five of our campuses you have incredible opportunity and influence from the position that you are in right now to speak into the next generation. Uh, my family has been, um, we've been very blessed by that. It, Angie and I talk about all the time, having other people who are younger than us, uh, single adults, college students, who are speaking into the lives of our children, who are saying similar things that we are saying. Um, the, oh, those other voices are an incredible, incredible blessing. You have that opportunity. There are organizations outside of our church, organizations like Big Brothers, Big Sisters, organizations like Lower Lights down in the hilltop. But you have the opportunity to partner with those organizations to speak goodness and the grace of God into the lives of other people. And I'll just say for some of the single adults who are here at our church, you are crushing it. You are doing an incredible job. And um, I'll just say our family has one example. We are super appreciative and super grateful for the ways um, that you're doing that. If you're here and you're um, middle school, high school, early college, uh, in that kind of a single season, I would just encourage you uh, to slow your roll a little bit on having to date. You know, it... You are, you are nudged and pushed, I believe, in our culture to have a BF or a GF or a Bay or whatever it is you call them uh, today, right? And to put all that out on social media and to get affirmations and likes and have the perfect picture at the perfect time in the magic hour right at the end of the day when the sunlight is just right so that the setting can be right with the right filter. And I would encourage you, it's okay to want to be in a relationship. Just slow your roll a little bit. You don't have to be. As a matter of fact, I would say that if in this season you will make your primary relationship your relationship with God, you will be utterly amazed at how God can use you during this season. Uh, some friends of mine and Angie's, they recommended a documentary uh, to us a couple of months ago. And we ended up watching it 
uh, I don't know, six weeks ago or so, but it's, it's called the Jesus Music, and it chronicles the history of modern Christian music starting in the late 1960s and 70s with the, the movement of the Jesus people on the West Coast, and then how that's chronicled all the way to today. So watching the documentary was great, but there was a specific moment, I'll say for me, in the documentary where um, in the, I believe it was early 1970s, there was this gathering of high school and college students in Austin, Texas, upwards of 50,000 of them. And at that point, the church in America was just a little bit reticent to the Jesus movement and the hippies and all those kind of what God was doing. But it was in that moment that Billy Graham came to that meeting and he blessed it and he blessed God's activity. And there was this tidal wave of leaders that came out of that movement. And I found myself getting choked up watching this documentary because what was really coming out of my heart was, God, would you do that again? Like among our young people, among our younger generations, God, would you do that kind of, we need that kind, we need that kind of movement. And then if you're here today and um, maybe you are single, you've been divorced, uh, maybe you are a widow, um, I would just say to you, we need your influence. We just started a new term of life groups a couple of weeks ago, and so we're just now getting our groups off the ground. And I would, I would encourage you as much as I can. We have multi-generational um, groups that are full of families and single people. We have single adult life groups. If you're just recently experienced a divorce or you have a friend who has, we have a divorce care group that's actually meeting um, this term. But we need you and we need your influence. You don't come just to, uh, to receive, right? You come to the group to give um, as well. If you'd like information um, on groups in the, uh, in the lobby, you can grab a catalog out of one of the kiosks, connect directly with the group, or we're happy to help you connect to a group. You can stop at Guest Central. You can send us an email, info at lifepointohio.com if you'd like, um, and we will do everything that we can to help uh, you get connected to a group. It is, uh, I think it's critical for us to remember that the founder of our faith intentionally said no to romance and marriage. That Jesus left heaven, came to earth for the purpose of going to the cross, dying for our sins, being resurrected, but he did that as a single man for the sake of the mission. The greatest Christian I believe who ever lived was Paul. Intentionally said no to marriage and romance for the sake of the kingdom mission. Um, I don't know how much you have paid attention over the past couple of weeks with the Queen of England's uh, passing, but Robert Cunningham shared, um, I thought it was a very unique story uh, about Elizabeth. Um, about seven or eight years ago, um, she was getting ready to go do a brief inauguration to uh, the congressional session. Every time, uh, every time the session started up, she would go and she would offer words of encouragement uh, to their governmental leaders to govern for the sake of the people and not themselves or their own, uh, or their own party. And so um, to go into the House of Lords, there's a very large, beautiful staircase that she would have to walk up. But as she got older, she had to take the elevator or as they say in England, the lift. So she and her escort were heading into the House of Lords and they were getting on the lift and they got on the lift and her escort pushed the button to take them to the right floor. But he actually pushed the wrong button and he took them to the maintenance floor. 
So they get up to the maintenance floor and the doors open. Well, what they don't know, and certainly what the lady, um, her name was Alice, who was part of the maintenance team, didn't know. She's standing in front of the door. She's got her cart, heads on, headphones on. She's pushed a button just like every other day. Doors open. She's not paying any attention. She just rolls her cart right on to the elevator and looks up. And all of a sudden, she realizes that she's pinned the queen to the wall with her cart. She lets an expletive fly that no one said in the presence of the queen. Like that was not, that was not good. And there's this moment of awkward silence. Elizabeth starts laughing. Alice starts laughing. I think the escort was executed by firing squad um, for, you know, sent him to the wrong floor. But she starts to pull her cart off. But Elizabeth won't let her leave. She tells her to push her cart off, get back on the elevator, and Elizabeth takes Alice to the beginning of the inaugural session of the House of Lords and the House of Commons and introduces everyone to Alice, the maintenance worker. And out of that sprung this relationship where Elizabeth and Alice regularly had tea together. And I was thinking about you and me because Jesus, the king of heaven, royalty, eternal royalty, right? Leaves heaven, comes to earth for commoners. People like you and me who are imperfect, who are broken by sin. People like you and me that he has no need of. And yet, he includes us. And he brings us to himself. So that we are seated with him in the heavenlies. We become royalty, his sons, his daughters, heirs to the goodness and the grace of God. Why would he do something like that? So that we could work really hard for him? Now the scriptures say that he brought, well, I'll use his own words from Revelation chapter three. He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone would open that door, I would come in and what? Sup. I would come in and fellowship. I would come in and eat with, if I could say it this way, I would come in and I would have tea with him and he with me. Jesus has saved you because he loves you. And walking with him is the ideal life. The best thing for God and the best thing for you is more of Jesus. And the more you get, the more satisfied that you'll become. And as we get and as we receive from God, as we say that, God, I am yours and you are mine, what happens is that as God fills us up, while that's a very personal decision, it's not a private one, that we take the step of going public with our faith. And so this morning, we have the opportunity to celebrate with people. We did it at 9.30 and we are here at this service at 11. We get to celebrate with people who are going public with their faith and they've come to us from all kinds of different places and spaces and backgrounds. They've come to know Christ in all kinds of different moments. Some of them have come to know Christ in the context of their family. Some of them have come to know Christ in the context of a camp um, this summer. Some of them came to know Christ in some very dark places very painful circumstances. Some of them are walking away from addiction and following Christ. They're walking away from addictive patterns of behavior, bruised and broken, but loved 
and satisfied. So I'm going to pray for us. And after I pray, our band is going to sing about the God named Jesus who came and paid it all for us. And as we sing, we get to celebrate with people about the goodness of God in the person of Christ in their lives. Let's pray. Lord, we believe what the scriptures say and what the scriptures teach, that you're the best thing for us, that you are the ultimate thing for us. So today, God, we, we de-pedestal. We take romance off the top. We take marriage off the top. We take our own freedom from responsibility off of that pedestal. And we put you, God, in your right, righteous place in our lives where you are glorified and we are satisfied. You are very, very good to us. Thank you, God, that we have the opportunity to celebrate with people today who are following you, who are going public with their faith as they are filled up by you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.